Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Right now, Collective is fully online, so if you like the podcast, make sure to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We would love for you to join us. A lot of big things are going on at Collective, so make sure not to miss a week this fall as we will be sharing about how God is moving in our church and what is next for Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Collective. I am CT. I'm one of our leaders here, and occasionally I get to preach. I'm excited to do it today, so let's jump in. On October 5th of this year, I posted this to Facebook. No sugar, day one. Y'all, I cleared out the beer drawer in the fridge and replaced it with vegetables. Like what kind of a trade is that? I went shopping today and I bought veggies I have never before, not once even looked at. We put away all the good stuff in the kitchen and made room for our new normal. This is going to be very, very hard. It's been almost 15 hours. I think I can, I think I can. Change is hard, isn't it? Think of the typical, lose weight, exercise more. Maybe if you're like me and my wife, eat more healthy. We committed to 20 days of no processed sugar. We could still have our fruits, just none of the processed sugar. So Rachel gave up coffee. She loves coffee. I gave up everything that Rachel bakes. Did you know that there's sugar in salsa and in peanut butter and bread? Like, what am I supposed to eat? I can't even have my cereal in the morning. Whose idea was this? It was my idea. My idea to see if we could commit to 20 days, 20 days of change. And in some ways, it was really easy. But in some ways, it was very, very hard. Now think about you for a second. Surely in the past, at some point, you have committed to try to change something. Were you able to stick with it? Maybe it was one of the popular things that I just mentioned. Maybe it was a new habit a change in relationships, possibly even giving Jesus a try. And in some ways, change is easy. But in other ways, change is very, very hard. And some of you can identify with this, especially in the month of December. I just heard seven out of the 10 most popular days to get engaged are in December. I heard this on the radio, December is the official start to proposal season. It's change that all singles are looking for. December is me feeling like a loser at 29 years old because I was still single and I wanted that major life change, but it wasn't happening for me. Oh, yay. Another Christmas of being the awkward fifth wheel and avoiding all those awkward questions. December is everything around me, all the commercials, the store music, the people, they are so happy and good for them, like legit good for them. But that's just not 
me. It hasn't been a good month. I'm not happy. Why can't I have that? I'm ready for some positive change. And so for some of us this morning, all I want for Christmas this year is change. A change of scenery, happier times, fulfilling relationships. Now, just imagine for a second if change in your life meant to defy a king. He gives you a command, and instead of following that command, you do a 180 and do the exact opposite. And I thought not eating sugar was hard. This would take some serious guts, and I'm not sure if I would be courageous enough to do this or not. But a long time ago, that's exactly what a few men did. So we know this because we started the story last week, but check it out. Jesus is born and the whole entire world changes. And specifically in our story today, the world changes for Herod and the world changes for the wise men. Now, let's talk about Herod for a little bit and let's humanize him and try to connect with him. We know that Herod tried to set up a secret meeting with the wise men so that he could lie to them and pretend that he wanted to worship Jesus when in reality he just wanted to kill him. But what do you do when you feel like you're being threatened or pushed out? Think about your professional career and how long you have been on the grind at work. All of a sudden, somebody is hired younger than you and you know they're gunning for your job. How do you feel? Guys, you meet that girl. Things are going great. Conversation is popping. And then she stops texting you back. You come to find out it's because your friend took her out downtown last weekend. Ladies, a girl walks into the room and is somebody that you perceive to be prettier than you are. And she commands the attention of the room, not you. What do you do? What's your response? Jealousy, pride, bitterness, anger, they can all make people do crazy things. Don't believe me? Just find a Ravens fan, lost to the Titans, again, playoffs anybody? Ouch. Steelers too? Free falling. I had no idea that song was about the Ravens. Tom Petty, how did you know? Sorry, not sorry, all you Ravens fans. But it's not just jealousy and anger, it's fears and vulnerabilities too. I've talked about this before in the past and for the most part, I'm cool with it and I've accepted it and it's fine, but I'm not a big guy. I'm not stout, I'm not muscular, I'm not tall, I don't have a great build. And back when we were meeting in person, part of what I would do when I would preach is I would pick, yep, still heavy, I would pick this up and lift it up onto the stage. Now for most of us, getting up and having to talk coherently in front of a large group of people, that's where the fear comes in. That's a, not a big deal for me. I even accidentally swore in a sermon, don't rush established cities. And for most of us, that would be humiliating. But for me, I was able to laugh it off. 
But this caused a vulnerability in me to rise. And what you didn't see was the number of times I practiced picking this up and lifting it onto the stage for fear that I would trip over myself. And if I did that publicly in front of a group of people, that would have exposed a vulnerability in me. We all have vulnerabilities. Herod did too. He just had the weight of the entire kingdom on his shoulders. And then all of a sudden, a threat just lands in his lap. What do you expect him to do? Roll over and say, more grapes, please. No, he's not going to do that. So to recap from last week, Herod is disturbed. And as we know, he wants to kill Jesus, which is why he calls for a secret meeting with the wise men. And I know we talked about that last week, but we want to continue the thread and continue to look at the story and focus on the wise men as well. So let's start the transition. The wise men, they went their way. They did what they set out to do. They found Jesus, gave him and his family gifts, and they worshiped him. And then check out what happens in Matthew 2, verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. There it is. Change. They defied a king, and in the process, they saved another king. If King Herod was willing to kill his own boys, as we found out last week he was, surely he'd be willing to kill somebody else's also. If the wise men had not made one small change, took the back roads home instead of I-70, it could have altered history. Small changes are a big deal. We just don't think about them like that. We know that we have changes in our life that we need to make, small changes that we need to make. Quit watching that raunchy TV show. Take initiative. Work less and invest in your personal life more. And maybe it even starts with better eating. So I told you that we gave up sugar for 20 days and I went to Aldi, shout out to the best grocery store out there. You don't go into Aldi with a list. Aldi tells you what you need. And on that day, I needed vegetables. And there was this 12 foot section of the store that I had never even looked at before. And I had to pretend like I know what I'm doing. So I walk up there and I'm looking at things. I'm like, yo, is this a pomegranate? Ah, no, that's just a red onion. That's a bummer. I bought things I'd never cooked before. Like, what am I supposed to do with a squash? How do you eat a squash? It was a really interesting 20 days. Also, imagine being married to a 36-year-old guy who doesn't know how to cook and eat vegetables. And what I learned through this journey, through this 20 days, is that eating healthy really is pretty simple. You just have to eliminate your desire to choose. Think about it. For most of us, our eating, especially right now, occurs within our apartment or our home. Sure, you go grab takeout or eat somewhere else sometimes. But if you're like us in the Thompson family, the majority of our eating happens within our apartment. 
So eating healthy actually had very little to do with food habits and it had everything to do with shopping habits and what I brought into the house. If I did my job right at the grocery store, there's no processed sugar in the house. I don't even have to be tempted by anything because it's not possible. I know my foods and my snacks that I love. Don't give me one of those Snickers peanut butter squares because I can't resist them. So being honest with ourselves, we knew that if they're in our house, they're going to be a constant temptation. So we eliminated our desire to choose and forced ourselves into good habits. And that's what I want us to focus on today as our big takeaway. We've all been told that we need to change. And honestly, we know what changes we do need to make. January is coming. There's that twinge of guilt associated with January 1st in our habits. But year after year, life circumstance after life circumstance, nothing changes. So stop trying to motivate yourself to change and take the choice out of the equation. It's not just you and me, it's people in general. There's a guy named James Clear. He's a writer, he's a blogger. I enjoy following him and I especially enjoy his take on habit and choice implementation. And he cites this study of a string of hospitals and employees and their beverage consumption. Specifically, the researchers tracked how much pop, yes, pop, I have a little Midwest in me, I call it pop, but they wanted to know how much pop versus water were hospital employees buying from the coolers in the cafeteria. So they tracked this for a series of weeks, and then overnight, one night, all the researchers did was simply rearrange the coolers in the cafeteria. They put the water right next to the cash register and they made employees walk out of their way if they wanted to go grab a pop. And that was it. No messages, no communication, no story, just a simple change. And the researchers watched as there was a dramatic increase in water consumption among hospital employees simply because of where the coolers were located. And the employees may not have even known it at the time, but they made life changes because the environment that they were in was shaped to eliminate their desire to choose. Think back to our story. Let's check out verse 12 again. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Most people know that Jesus was born in a stable. But verse 11, right before this, tells us that the wise men came into Jesus' house. Why didn't they come to the stable? Jesus was born in a stable, but this wasn't his home or even his hometown. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, had to go to Bethlehem to be counted for a census, but Joseph was actually from a small town called Nazareth. So this is where Jesus was raised as a baby and as a boy, and this is where the wise men went to to go visit Jesus at his house. 
Now to go full nerd on y'all, back then what happened was burials were always done outside the village. Think cemeteries were outside the city. And as such, people who studied Jewish culture and historians were really accurately able to predict the size of this town Nazareth. And some, es- some experts estimate that this town was as small as 10 acres and the population was 400 people. Everyone knew everyone. Nazareth could have been the scene for the very first country song that was ever written. Have you ever lived in one of those towns? One of those small, tiny towns? Frederick may have been that way, but Frederick is not that way anymore. All four years of high school, I lived in Illinois in a small, tiny little town, literally right between a bean field and a cornfield. My public high school had 120 kids. I kid you not, we shared our cafeteria with the middle school and the elementary school. So for lunch, we, the high schoolers, were on one side of the cafeteria and the kindergartners were on the other side of the cafeteria. My high school graduation took 35 minutes. And there was one main drag in town. And when I was 16 and thought I was way cooler than what I actually was, I got pulled over by the police in our little town. You can probably see where this is going. Everybody knows everybody. People recognize my car. And so by the time I got home, I didn't even have to tell my parents that I got a speeding ticket because they already knew. Word travels fast in a small town. And my point is that everywhere the wise men went, they stuck out. They were rich. They were different. They created a scene. And you better believe that the local people in the villages were talking about them as they moved through villages to arrive to go visit Jesus. And if they went back to Jerusalem, it probably would have been big news. What if they traveled back through Jerusalem and somebody recognized them? What if somebody tried to confront them? And even worse, what would have happened if they were forced because they were in Jerusalem to go and meet with Herod? Would they have been afraid for their lives? Seems very plausible with what we know about Herod. And would they have done what I would have done, which is confess to Jesus's location? And then just to continue that train of thought, if that had happened, what would have been Herod's response? The wise men, following what God told them in a dream, took choice out of the equation. There is no meeting with Herod because it is physically and geographically impossible. Now let's bring this down to a real personal level. Think about your power struggles, areas in your life with competition. What fears do you have? What vulnerabilities do you have? How are they emotionally based? Now, a lot of times, this is where I get to be a little bit annoyed with preachers. I'm like, listen, I just made a bad choice. I was tired. There's nothing deeper to it. There's no backstory. I'm just tired and I made a bad choice. Stop trying to emotionalize this because there's nothing to emotionalize. 
You know, if you're tired and that's why you're slipping, it's cool. And let's just let it be that. I'm not trying to make up something that doesn't exist. All I'm asking is, does something deeper exist? And if so, you owe it to yourself, the people around you, and yes, to God too, to figure out what that something deeper is. But regardless, let's get practical. What is your inner struggle? What is your Herod-like tendency? And how can you kick it to the curb by adopting a wise man mentality? Social media? That's easy. Get rid of the app on your phone. It'll take you five seconds. Bye. See ya. Or if you're really serious, suspend your account. Get rid of that dating app. Or be like that guy, James Clear, I mentioned. Monday mornings, his assistant changes the password to all of his social media. And then Friday, when work is over, his assistant gives him the password to enjoy social media over the weekend. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, that's crazy, dude. Like, no, just no. People don't do that, CT. And you're right. People who don't want to change don't do that. Remember, eliminate the desire to choose. Adopt a wise man mentality. Are you drinking too much alcohol during COVID? According to Nielsen's market data, alcohol sales are up 24% and hard liquor sales are up 27%. So there's a good chance it's somebody that you know or it's you. Simple. Don't keep any alcohol in your home. Tell everybody in your social circle not to buy it for you. And if this is something that you really do struggle with on a deep level, let us know as your church and let us help you. Do you struggle reading the Bible? Bible? I know I do. There's times, weeks where I'm on fire and things are great and then life happens. And before I know it, five 10, 15 days have gone by and my Bible is still on the shelf. Put your Bible on your dining room table right where you eat. Set your Bible on top of your work computer that is now at home with you. What's the most high traffic area in your house? Put your Bible there. What is your struggle? And what is your change that you know needs to happen? Don't wait until January 1st. That's an emotion or guilt-based decision to change. And 99 times out of 100, those don't last. Build structure and intentionality into your life. Make changes that eliminate the desire to choose. This morning, we looked at the wise men and how they made one simple change and the profound impact it had on their lives and the lives of the people around them. What's your inner Herod tendencies? Anger, fear, vulnerability. And how can you make changes by adopting a wise men mentality? 
Let me wrap this up by quoting Dave Ramsey. He's a financial guru. And in just a couple of months, we're going to be offering his class to you as our church. But one key phrase that he, te- he teaches, and maybe some of you know this, live like no one else now, so later you can live like no one else. Change that lasts is hard. It requires sacrifice. People are going to call you crazy. They won't understand. Live like no one else now. Adopt a wise man mentality. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for today. God, for some of us who are hearing this, the thing that we want most this Christmas season is change. God, I pray that you help us to recognize the areas where we need to change. God, not just that, but I also pray that you teach all of us, whether we believe in you or are skeptical about you, how we can adopt a mindset of change towards you. Open up our perspective, deepen our belief, allow us to take steps and be bold towards you. That is the greatest change in life that we can ever make, God. And I pray that you help us to be bold enough to take that step for the first or the 50th time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.